This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Everybody, welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we are here with you today for Total Cinema Control. Oh, con- control? I didn't know we were controlling anything. I'm not ready to control. I'm ready to relax. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I drove past this gym today. That was called Total Fitness Control. I'm not I'm not on board. That sounds way too hard right off the bat. I nearly had a heart attack. I was like, <laughs> what gym is called Total Fitness Control? Also, if if I'm in a gym, I don't have total fitness control. That's why I'm in the gym. <laughs> I just imagine like you walk into this gym. And like a Vernon Wells from like the Mad Max universe is at the door. And he like slaps you across the face with like a studded forearm bracelet, like a Judas Priest <laughs> thing. He's like, get down now. <laughs> what a, what have, an intimidating gym. I can't that believe That is way it. too intimidating. And it's 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 really giving me some thoughts about how I'd rather let my body atrophy than give someone total fitness control. Even myself. I don't want total fitness control over my own body. Like eventually someone will have to take over. Like when, when I wake up my grandma in the morning, she's like, oh, my arm hurts. My leg hurts. Why do I hurt so much? And I'm like, it's because you're very old. And then I have to like pump her legs like one of those old uh, water well things. <laughs> to like get her out of it so i have to like pump the knee and like yeah someone eventually will have to have total fitness control over me exactly you know i i figured you would appreciate this uh, what here's what i imagine total cinema control being is that you walk into a movie theater and like a guy like vernon wells from the mad max universe comes and <laughs> slaps you across the face with a studded forearm bracelet anyway and he says no popcorn for you he's like get in there and Witness the celluloid, the celluloid, the celluloid. That's a good mashup. Hey, Total fitness cinema control. <laughs> celluloid closet. Celluloids. My God, this is going off the rails already. It's been like five minutes. I know we're not even into it and we're going ham. Well, I think it's because we both like jacked up with excitement because we have this like kind of cool thing to throw at you guys this episode. Um, so exciting. Yes. Yeah, so Danielle and I receive, you know, we receive emails. Obviously, you know this because a lot of you have written us and we really appreciate hearing from you. And, you know, we read a lot of these emails that we get from you guys on the bonus episodes. But I don't know. We were going through the inbox and we got just this cool letter. And Danielle, like, 
Talk about how you felt when you got this email from one of our listeners. I just, I really loved the, like, first of all, this listener is also a great writer. And I really just connected to the story she was telling about how her experience of movie watching and listening to us talk about movies really closely mirrored her own. And I think I think it just hit me for, for so many reasons. But again, fantastic writer, but also that's why we're doing the podcast. And so it really yeah. just was very touching to me that we were able to meet a like-minded person through by by doing the thing that we wanted to do and the reason we wanted to do it. And it, that's not always clear to us that we're like reaching people in that way. <laughs> so yeah. it was just really delightful. And, and again, she's funny and just was just so of our generation. And I just felt like it felt like a real like someone who I'd already known and grew up with was writing in. Yeah. Even though I'd never met her before. So yeah. And um, so then we decided Hey, what if we like wrote her and asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast? Um, you know, like sociopaths do. <laughs> yeah. Like, we love this person so much. Let's force them to hang out with us. Thank, thanks for your letter. Can you come over at nine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hell. But luckily, she said yes. Yeah. So we are actually going to talk to one of our listeners this, uh, this week. Uh, her name is Leida Pickett. And she's here with us right now. Hello. Hello. Hello, ladies. Hello. You guys are killing oh. me. You're oh my killing gosh. me. I've been <laughs> laughing. Makeup running. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. You're, well, this, you're amazing. This is just perfection. And I love you. We do have a little introduction for you um, that you that you have written. And I want to talk to you about it. So we're going to read it for <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, to, int to introduce you to the rest of your fellow listeners. Um, now, this is this is from Leida, which I'm also happy that we're we're have you on the show, so it gives me a chance to pronounce your name correctly. And Leida says, "I am a fiercely loyal truth seeker who loves words and cusses a lot. I'm currently raising the next generation of world changers with the most amazing village of family and friends to guide and support me. And damn it, I will leave this planet better than I found it, despite my idiot dog's best efforts to thwart me." My first public appearance was in 1991 as the understudy to the backstage singer of the Somewhere Ballet in Southeast High School's production of West Side Story. Nothing ever came of it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever came of it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Oh, my God. <laughs> and what I really love, too, is that so in, in your original email to us, you were writing to us about gas food lodging. And in, in the part of, the, of your email that we read on, on um, our bonus episode, but that just really resonated with me is you said... Uh, when COVID shut the world down, I had recently turned 43, left my partner of 12 years and father of my two children, bought my first home, planted a garden and got a damn dog. Go big or go home. That's why. And I was like, you have absolutely transformed your life in the past couple of years. And Millie and I talk about that a lot. So tell us where you are now. We're two years later <laughs> and you bought a house and, and your dog is is called Charlemagne the dog, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And I just want to hear about everything. How's it going? I think we're doing okay. Uh, I am hungover uh, <laughs> after 24 hours of revelry with close family and friends. And we're, we're celebrating uh, Independence Day. Is that what we're doing? 
we're all independent. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're celebrating Shrug. our independence. Our <laughs> independence, yes. Uh, everybody's doing well, I guess. Uh, the dog's still alive. The kids are still alive. I drink more than is comfortable. Uh, <laughs> but you've looked at the world. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the world. Of course, of course, we're all digging into our vices more than ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think my reproductive rights have been taken away at some point. Yeah. Don't we don't have bodily autonomy. I mean, my my um, my vices is sleep and I go to bed at like six o'clock now and I don't give a fuck. And your skin is luminous. Absolutely. <laughs> so obviously something's going well. This works. Oh, this is wonderful. But yeah, so tell us also, because we really connected with your, the, the way that you write about movies and the way that you talked about movies. And I want to know, like, what excites you about movie watching? And not not to like, you know, tell us why you like us, but how how do you connect to our podcast as well? Well, you know, I was thinking about this and I feel like my relationship with movies has changed even as I've changed, you know, as a person with a, uh, a fellow person with a chaotic childhood. I spent a lot of time trying to escape the reality that I was in, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't have a whole lot of money for that kind of stuff. So and we also got cable late. So everything that I saw, like, I love those experiences when you guys are talking about movies that you uh, rewatched after seeing them as a kid. And there was whatever subtext where you're like, I did not get that the first time that I saw Mm -hmm. that at all. And that was totally me. Like, I had a very inappropriate uh, amount of television and movie exposure as a kid because my mom was a kid and she was like, afraid of watching A Nightmare on Elm Street by herself. So she let me stay up past my bedtime when I was nine years old. Yes! Yes! There needs to be a psychological study of moms (laughs) who are too afraid to watch the horror movie alone because that's how I ended up seeing 90% of the shit I saw too. Yes! So, you know, it it was escapist. And when the opportunities came around, it always felt just like a really exciting way to, you know, step into the lives of other people. I am a... I'm also a really big reader, so I've got, you know, a broad imagination and, like, seeing whatever I could put together in my head, you know, born out on television or in the movies was always really a lot of fun for me. And I, uh, you know, I really didn't start listening to podcasts until the shutdown, until I had nothing but time, Um, you know, and so... Welcome to the club, that's when we started one. Right, (laughs) right. And I just, you guys have such interesting perspectives. Um, and I appreciate so much uh, the things that you've exposed me to about movies. You know, I I also have a whole other chapter and a journey of, um, you know, assimilation into white culture that I dealt with and mm-hmm. figuring out the intersectionality between my lived experience and the experience of queer folks that my culture pretended didn't exist uh, mm-hmm. for my entire life has been a really big journey. And you guys are just really good at um, pointing us, your listeners, me specifically, and everybody else in the world who's listening to you uh, toward, uh, you know, genres and uh, producers and directors and actors that I've never been exposed to, you know, in my non-cable having world with my, you know, 
black single mom in Springfield, Illinois. So it's been really fun for me just to kind of expand my horizons that way. And you guys just crack me up. So I can't get enough. I keep listening all the time. Every week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank <laughs> you. I know. I feel like it's it's so important because we really... We really do rewatch a lot of things um, from our childhood and they give us completely different perspectives. And you said that even in your original email where you watched Gas Food Lodging again and you're like, I have been all three versions of this this woman and uh, or these these women. And I think that there there is something to be said for like finding a way to connect to a community when your community isn't giving you any options. And I've, I've, I came to movies the same way where I thought... I'm not really, see- I want to see the world. I'm eager to see the world and I'm not seeing the world in my own life and I want to know more about it. So I would, you know, kind of force myself to watch movies that I knew nothing about. Um, and I think, Millie, you came to it kind of similarly in that like you, maybe not in the exact same way, but I know that, you know, growing up with immigrant parents and, and you know, movies were not really a big deal, um, but it was like a language that you developed to kind of express yourself. So I think it's, yeah. we're all kind of in the same boat there. Yeah, part of like what I I think connected us to your email, Leida, is the idea that we might all be around the same age. And I can't stress this enough. I feel like you just told us this. TV was like a babysitter in a lot of ways for our generation. And so much I think of what I experienced with, with getting introduced to film was just almost like accidental like it was that kind of like well i'm sitting in front of a tv flipping channels and Mm -hmm. i'm watching a movie um a lot of the times or you know watching something because i had just flipped past it or just i was more of like a passive audience to film when i was a kid and that's because my parents both worked and there were no parents around. There was no parents around. The blessing and the curse of it, right? Yes. Yes. My sister and I are four years apart in age. And I was old enough, in quotes, to stay home with her by myself at 11. And I remember in the summers, we would watch whatever was on. Like once we did get cable, we would watch whatever was on Spotlight. Do you guys remember that channel? Oh, it was like the definitely. precursor to Showtime, I think. Spotlight. Mm-hmm. I even remember the theme song, ladies. <laughs> and we would watch, and they would play like B movies mm-hmm. all yes. day long during my mom's work day. Yeah. And Amazing. we saw all kinds of shit. All kinds of shit. The yeah. chain- your sister's like seven, like watching. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was stuff. Ed- there was also too like even if you because i i'm with you in that we would have cable for a little bit and then it would be it would go away it would be like the kind of thing where my dad would be like too expensive we're not paying for this shit and then and then a free a free uh weekend of hbo happened and it's like well shit we're getting cable again like they were always like canceling it all the time so i'm like do we have it or not and so in the periods where we didn't have it I think that we also kind of grew up in this era where like antenna TV was still a thing or like over, you know, over the air channels that kind of like, you know, the, the big broadcast networks would play movies on the weekends and like, um, you know, you would have like public access stuff or like PBS would play movies. So there was like always movies on. And I know this because I work in TV programming film and it's just 
fucking cheaper to play movies than it is to yeah. play you know scripted tv a lot of times so a lot of this era that we grew up in it was it was just like this situation where all these channels were playing films because it was literally pennies on the dollar and mm -hmm. we were just sitting in front of a tv because we were like babysitting our little sister or like somebody was out you know doing something else and or like we were at the na the, the neighbor's house with the kids whose parents were gone too and so yeah i think that that's kind of like i, I think that that situation is sort of like a common thing for people of our age so yeah and and it's and i do you find like i think this is true of me that i think because of that because that's how we came into the world of watching films movies are always comforting for me yeah so like it's i can always put a movie on in the background i can always watch something over and over and over again they're very comforting for me because it's like reuniting with your babysitter let's be real yeah <laughs> yes like oh you i oh i missed you so yes <laughs> Now, do you do this for your own children? <laughs> you know what? It's weird, but I think they do it on their own. Like yeah. kids are just like whenever they like something, they want to see that thing over and over and over again. And they have more yes. technology. Like they can yeah. watch stuff with like closed caption or whatever. But what they really want is the certainty of knowing what's going to happen in the next scene. There's yeah. something about it. I will. I know the soundtrack to everything right now, ladies. <laughs> Not because I am actively watching these shows, because I'm passively receiving whatever it is my kids are listening to in the background. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just osmosis. But it I agree. It's it's a it's an anxiety deterrent. Yep. You know, I think that's why I watch the same things over and over again sometimes because I'm like, I know how this is going to make me feel, and that's mm -hmm. all I want right now is the certainty of this is how I'm going to feel for the next two hours. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Oh, so well, good. I, you know, it's funny, though, when I think about sort of our our own sort of individual introduction to film and how it played a role in our lives. But then now having this opportunity to kind of gather with each other in this way, like, I feel like that's the one thing that I really do enjoy about doing the podcast is being able to have an opportunity to talk to somebody like Yuliana, like the idea of like me sitting in front of a TV, passively watching some Western when I was a child to like now being able to like take that Western and discuss it with other people who look like me and have like our, my like shared experiences r along cultural, racial, whatever lines. And then just getting to gather with people, you know, because that was like, I think that's what makes it different between just being sort of like a person that just kind of will watch a movie versus somebody who wants to go a little bit deeper and find out like, why do I like this? Why, why is this popular? Why did this happen? Why is this person around? How come I don't know about this person? So, and um, just sort of doing this podcast, I feel like is a good opportunity for us to chat with each other in that way, you know? Yeah, I get that. I was thinking about like, you know, before the pandemic, you know, we would go to movies and kind of experience movies together with other people. But it was yeah. still, you know, your group of one or two or however many people you were with. And that was going to be just your singularity type experience that you were having. But yeah. this is this is a version of that that I think that, you know, our resilience kind of sent us to 
when we weren't able to to get together and go to movies together. Yeah. You know, then it became, yeah. oh my God, did you see so-and-so? Or are you listening to Millie and Danielle's podcast? Did you hear about the movies they talked about? You know, that kind of thing. It's still it's still a way of gathering. Yeah. That we're more totally comfortable agree. with for the moment. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. And it's it's something like I have not been back to movies, to theaters yet. And I miss it so terribly because that is it's a big part of my enjoyment of newer films is is going with people. So, you know, sitting at home and watching like Wonder Woman 84, there's no one for me to turn to and be like, is Pedro Pascal not perfect or what? Like, I'm just saying that to <laughs> no one. And it's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, so, yeah, I think that it, it is something that is filling a gap and helping us kind of stay social. Um, and we're just so grateful that you are that you are the kind of person who listens to our show because you never know what kind of audience you're going to get. And I feel like most of our listeners are exactly like you, like just yeah. very cool, like-minded, wonderful people um, who we're really happy to be in a community with. Thank you. Well, you guys get back what you put out there. I mean, from day one, I mean, one of the things that I also connected with and resonate so much with from you guys is your friendship um, I also have an amazing group of women who would cut a bitch for me, um, <laughs> even if I'm wrong. And then after they've cut that bitch, they will tell me you were fucked up about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I just get that vibe from you, you know, where I'm just like, oh, gosh, I, I, I want to I, I don't know if it's the stage of life. But it is, I, I think it's luck. I don't think that everybody has those kinds of relationships. I don't think what you guys have is a common thing. And it's really great to witness it and see it, you know, out there in the world that you guys really care for each other and take care of each other. Even though you're not in the same town, like you guys ride and that's awesome. Man. Thank you so Thank you. much. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy that that, yeah. that that it comes through and that you have that in your own life and that uh, you're right. It's rare. And I think it's something that that brings me great joy, brings Millie great joy. And again, just so thrilled to add you to the crew. <laughs> like, yeah. we're gonna ha let's hang out. I want to be we your will friends. We, you are gang, our gang, friends. Gang, let's go. Yay! We're ready. We, <laughs> we, you know us. We don't talk to people we don't like. Yes, <laughs> I, I, yes, I do that. Very selective. Very selective. <laughs> but truly, cannot thank you enough for being here. For again, being part of our lives. Um, we don't take it for granted. We don't take it lightly. And um, I sincerely hope that we get to do some kind of live event that you can. Uh, you can attend so we can go out and grab, grab dinner and really, really hunker down. Yeah. That'd be amazing. That'd be so amazing. You guys, I, I'm totally fangirling. I've had <laughs> only one opportunity to be in contact with, a, you know, like a public figure. And I fucked that up royally. <laughs> this has gone so much better. So much better. Redemption. Redemption. <laughs> Another reason why we're here. Yes. <laughs> we'll come back anytime. Truly. Thank well, you. maybe we should just check in with you regularly. Yeah. Like, I know. I know. I'm sure other listeners are going to be like, what about us? Like, mm. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Seriously, I look forward to your emails. And Millie, I want to see pictures of your dog. I, I oh, need yeah. to see pictures of Carrot. Uh, <laughs> I don't like cats, but I love Carrot. And I, Carrot is a real charmer. He, honestly, your stories are hilarious. And if you need somebody to take him, I will. 
I'll put you Maybe. in the will. Like, if, <laughs> if I die, carrot goes to Lehigh. <laughs> buckle up, you're getting that mid-century shit box. <laughs> <laughs> for his toxoplasma. Bring a U-Haul for his toxoplasmosis. <laughs> I can't get pregnant anymore. I'm not worried about that shit. Everything's fine. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, well, please go have a wonderful evening. And again, thank you so much for, for joining us and for listening, truly. The thank best. you for having me. You guys are the best. Oh my God! What a fun guest we have. Leida is Leida is the best, and we should do that more often. Or should we only do that with Leida? <laughs> I know it's like I kind of like her. I kind of I kind of wish she yeah. would come back like often. Well, also like I'm sure other people are great, but like, are we opening Pandora's box? Essentially, true. I mean, you know, the in this day and age. The experiences that we've had, you never know. Well, at least we did that, that one, and it was cool. Yeah. And we love our listeners, and thank you so much for being awesome, Leida. And you know what else is awesome? Our theme this week, which you thought of. Uh, I did? Oh, yeah. gosh, I guess I did think of another theme randomly. Why don't you uh, tell them what it is? So our theme this week is called 90s murderous tiger beat hotties <laughs> <laughs> now let me ask you a question did you read tiger beat when you were growing up i did read tiger beat but i also had a hierarchy Ooh, let's hear had, it let's hear it you know bop came above tiger beat for me okay simply because they had more of the centerfolds that i was interested in <laughs> Yes, we are talking about magazines for teen girls. Centerfolds. Like, that's where you get your big pictures of, like, I don't know, Richard Grieco or whoever you were into. <laughs> or whoever you're into. The Greeks. You know, whoever you're into. Greek we, we share a birthday, me and the Greeks. What? <laughs> yes. Actually, for years, I think that my two birth... Well, I have, like, three or four birthday twins. But um, one of them is Damon Albarn of Blur. And the other is Richard Grieco. And I thought, let's all three go down to the Chuck E. Cheese and have <laughs> us a good old time. Get Look, cash in on those tickets. And if we want to bring Shaka Khan, who is also a birthday twin, then we can, we can have Why her as well. Why wouldn't you? Of course you would. Listen, if, if, if Tiger Beat had a Shaka Khan centerfold, I'd still be a subscriber. Yeah, I'd be like, I, give me some middle age Anita Baker. Like, give me some some Enya. Why isn't that magazine exist? Instead of like Tiger Beat, it's like Tiger Stroll, <laughs> Tiger Bliss. <laughs> yeah, I, like, listen. And there is probably an entire generation of kids who like have no idea what we're talking about because I'm actually unsure. Do they still make like teeny bopper magazines these days? I think they do. I only like I only see that kind of stuff when if I'm like if I'm in an airport, which I haven't been lately, but yeah. I think they do, but it's usually more like um I don't know, the kids are smart now, so it's all like Teen Vogue and then the cover isn't like you know coronemic. The cover is like <laughs> <laughs> The cover is like how to overthrow your government and you're like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, no, they're like, "Do I care about Jason Bateman from Teen Wolf 2?" No, not that's no my mom's. Given. That's my mom's interest. I care about climate change. 
<laughs> mom like, was wasting time on these chumps. And we want the issues, the straight facts. <laughs> well, and like, and that's kind of like what I think the theme is ultimately about was that we did an episode, I think it was episode 32. It was called I Love You 1994. And it was essentially about Juliette Lewis sort of being in a, a bunch of different films where she was basically murdering people. And, yes. you know, we we talked a lot about that era and sort of her stardom in that era. And so... Then there was this other theme that we did even, I think it was like actually newer than that episode where we did talk about like Katie Holmes and Tobey Maguire and their fame in this era. And we're talking about the 90s, obviously. So we thought for this episode, we were going to talk about like, let's just talk about all the hotties. Let's talk about all of the the hot teens stars. And, and a lot of them were teens maybe... Uh, I guess like some of them were like 19, but a lot yeah. of them were in their twenties. Okay. Playing high school kids. Right. And um, so we were just more like, let's talk about like this era. And then f we kind of landed almost like we landed on two movies that were made in or released in the same year. Yeah. And they were both horror films and uh, they feature some of the hottest hotties we've ever seen. Do they? Yours does. Yours is like a Robert Altman <laughs> film. <laughs> Yours is like a Robert Altman horror film with like all of the hotties, the teen uh, hotties of this era. Mine a little less so. They were definitely like of the era, the hotties of the yeah. era for sure. You're right. Well, well, and also too, I mean, a lot of this is also like, there's a lot of folks that get presented as Tiger Beat hotties that I was always like, What? No. Oh yeah, Tiger Beat always slipped like that one middle-aged man in the in the end. You're like, what the fuck? What is like fucking Robert Goulet doing in here? Or like, what is Scott Bakula doing in yeah. Tiger Beat? What the hell's going on? <laughs> they always did that. They always snuck that one dude, and you're like, what? He's like near retirement age. <laughs> what is Tom Selleck doing in this fucking issue of Tiger Beat? Yeah, he's the, you know, the hall monitor for this all these other kids that are hanging out in this magazine. He's the cop, basically. But, you know, at the end of the day, there was this whole proliferation of horror films featuring teens in the 90s that obviously I think got started with Scream. Yes. And then it just got more and more and more. So there's this entire, like, trajectory of film where there was you know, basically, you know, famous WB stars or WB adjacent stars that were all in these horror films. Um, and uh, I actually can't wait to talk about these two because, yeah, like I said, your movie, I feel, is really good. I feel like it's a quality issue when it comes down to it. There's there's a difference in quality, I feel like, in these films. Um, but I but I think it's interesting because they were both kind of like of this era, of this teen horror 90s era. Yeah. And um, I can't wait. I cannot wait to talk about your film. But Well, I can't wait to talk about your film, but for completely different reasons. Yes, I, I have a sneaking suspicion. And <laughs> I know what it is. I am excited. Um, I will say one of the characters is giving straight up Brad Dorif in Graveyard Shift realness. A hundred percent. 
percent. A hundred percent. There are some odd nods in here to other films that don't necessarily uh, hold up. But you know what? We'll talk about it. And you're going first. So why not jump in? Oh, my God. Let's fucking jump in. Okay. So my movie for the theme, 90s murderous Tiger Beat Hotties, was a movie that was made in 1998 written by Scott Rosenberg, directed by David Nutter, and it's called Disturbing Behavior. You hate it here, don't you? She's different. The kids are strange. Hello. Hey. It's like they're always smiling. They're always happy. Okay, so this, I think, may not have ever happened. I'm not sure. It's it's possible it has. I can't remember. We've done so many episodes. Um, I have never seen this movie before. So, really? Yes. So I'm coming to this episode having not seen a movie before the the episode. But that's um, for a reason, because the movie you originally picked, my grandma had scrubbed from the <laughs> internet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, full disclosure. I had originally picked Poison Ivy, okay, which stars, stars Drew Barrymore. And for whatever reason, it's not available online, um, which, you know, happens. Please reference our episode about physical media with Brian Sauer. But, you know, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to try to present this film that nobody can see. Uh, And so I went with a different film and I was like, why is this not available? And then I immediately thought about Danielle's grandma hating Drew Barrymore so intensely. (laughs) And I thought, and I was like, she's involved. There's no way she's not involved. She's got nothing but time and an unlimited phone plan. <laughs> yeah. She, she was like, make I, the will, calls. I do not want to see Drew Barrymore in a short skirt. She's just going down the list. She's like, fire starter, done, next. <laughs> <laughs> Never been kissed. Goodbye. Goodbye. 50 first dates. Smell you later. <laughs> So, uh, so I pivoted last minute and picked this film. And then it was that moment where I was like, well, I've never seen it. Uh, and although I wanted to, like, I think at the time I might've skipped it for reasons I will reveal in just a second. But then, um, later I was like, I should go back. I should circle back, circle back and watch that movie. Um, and then I was like, well, hell let's do it now. Why not? Um, so first time watch for me, this is a, these are fresh feelings very fresh um and look when it comes right down to it i could do one sentence synopsis perhaps but honestly this movie really just is a showcase for katie holmes and her midriff and james marsden is there james marsden's cheekbones and jaw are also there (laughs) And, and listen we joke but personally I feel like James Marsden might be the only truly likable character in this film. Um, totally. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for seeing eye to eye with me on that. Totally. Like the two, uh, I, I know we're going to get into it, but the two stoners, <laughs> so annoying. Like annoying in a way that stoners have never been annoying to me before. Not even funny annoying, just like why annoying. We're going to talk about this and how. Like, in just a minute, because I I need, I desperately need your deep, deep thoughts on these two fucking knuckleheads. But here's the thing. So I I don't, I didn't know a lot about the film before I went into it other than Katie Holmes and James Marsden. 
But I did know this. There was a, a song that came out when this movie came out. Okay. And the name of the song is called Got You Where I Want You by a band called The Flies who are from Hollywood, California. And I remember seeing the video on MTV and thinking that the song is great. And then I'm like, why are Katie Holmes and James Marsden in this video? Why is Katie Holmes wearing a really short midriff top with no shoes on outside? Like in fucking Malibu or Big Sur, wherever they're at in this video. I'm like, she ain't wearing shoes. Like, that's not good. <laughs> and this goes back to in our the episode where we discuss film uh, songs that are that remind us directly of films. The Enya video for the song that goes with uh, yeah, far. Uh, it's not called Far and Away. It's called Book of Days. <laughs> I have to tell and myself the, that every time I think of it. And the whole time you're like, why is she flipping through some scrolls? And why is Tom Cruise there? Yes. Like, why is Katie Holmes on this beach in this weird slow... I have never in my goddamn life seen a horror movie have a slow eighth grade Will You Dance With Me song for its, like, main song. Yes, and it play, and unlike Book of Days, which only plays at the end, which you felt very strongly about, <laughs> like, this song, Got You Where I Want You, plays, like, multiple times in the film. Yeah. Um, it plays it in the first, like, couple minutes of the film, and it, I think it plays at the very end, too. And in the middle, they played it all the time. This is why I'm mad that Book of Days was not in Far and Away. Yeah that much because I like the song. Yeah. If I like the song, you should be playing it nonstop throughout that fucking movie. Then this is the movie that's like, are you sure about that? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, like this, the song, you're going to have to all go to YouTube and watch the video to know what the fuck I'm talking about. The band themselves look so deeply Hollywood in the late 90s they're all they all like dyed black spiky hair chain wallets like i'm sure it's probably like really tight white tank tops that come in a 10 pack with giant pants like it's that look that we all know now and then there's barefoot katie holmes and james marston is there <laughs> just like the film james marston is also in the video but that's the whole reason why i knew about this movie and then at a certain point, I just like never got around to seeing the film. But I have to say, so when I was doing research about this movie, I started reading about the writer of the film, Scott Rosenberg. Okay, I'm going to read you this, this uh, group of sentences that I found <laughs> online about the writer of Disturbing Behavior. During production of the film Domestic Disturbance in April 2001, Rosenberg was arrested along with actor Vince Vaughn after a bar brawl in Wilmington, North Carolina. The scuffle broke out at the Firebelly Lounge where actor Steve Buscemi had been stabbed in the face, throat, and arm. I'm sorry, what? Do I do not remember this at all. Do you remember this? I have no recollection of this. What is the source on that? Is it Tumblr? It was it was fanfic? on the it was on the Wikipedia page for the writer 
Steve Rosenberg. And then it, it, I looked at the reference and it was like an E, an E what? online article. I'm sorry. If my man, Steve Buscemi, was stabbed in the fucking face, I feel like I would have remembered that. I mean, dude, this must have been the power of 2001 because I did not know this at all. Like if Steve Buscemi got stabbed in the face right fucking now, like today, it would be all over the news. It would be all over Twitter. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is actually a, dis- this, this is, okay. Listen, <laughs> I know we're in a time when Britney Spears is married. She's, her life's coming back to her. This is the shit that prevented us from knowing this information is that they were so busy chasing after Britney Spears, hanging out with Lindsay Lohan and fucking Paris Hilton that nobody thought to tell us Steve Buscemi got stabbed in the fucking face and throat and neck. What? An arm. Arm? Throat throat might as well be neck. Let's get serious. And then arm. And I, I have no recollection of this event. Also, why are they hanging out together? The writer of this film got into a brawl where that happened. So he started it and then my man Steve got stabbed? Well, actually, when you go to the E! Online article, it sounds like these like two local bros got into the fight with this crew of people, including Vince Vaughn, maybe Steve Buscemi, and maybe this guy. And so I think maybe that was it. Like, the famous guys were on one side and then the local bros were on the other side. If I know anything about North Carolina, which I'm just saying, I might, but... That maybe is what happened. How was this not turned into a film? And <laughs> I do not... This is this is the new West Side Story to me. <laughs> this is what the new West Side Story iteration should have been. It's for some reason, Vince Vaughn is hanging out with Steve Buscemi. And the guy that wrote Disturbing Behavior. And they're all hanging out, bare-knuckle boxing people in North Carolina. <laughs> I want these. I need more. I need more. Like we have to have one of them on the show. That's how many details I need. I need a full Hulu four part doc on this. Thank you. Too sweet. Okay. So there's that factoid that I fit. I found when I was researching this film. In the the face. In the fucking face. Wild. Absolutely fucking wild. The other thing is that I read that the director of this film Okay, he was also a director and producer on The X-Files, and I feel like that tells the entire tale of this movie because, honestly, this movie, Disturbing Behavior, feels like an X-Files episode and not a movie, right? (laughs) Fair fair to say? (laughs) Uh, And and I gotta say, maybe not even a good episode of The X-Files, unfortunately. It truly feels like a very drawn-out x-files episode yes i i I, I truly agree now david nutter also directed a bunch of um game of thrones episodes i know yes but he was very good at game of thrones episodes he's he's known for directing pilot episodes of tv shows that like have gone to series like all of the pilots he directed went to series or something for like 20 years or something crazy but um okay so before we move on to the beats of this film i have to ask you right now where are you or were you with the series Dawson's Creek? I have never seen a single minute of Dawson's Creek and I never okay. will. And you okay. can't make me. Okay. <laughs> and several people have asked and I just won't. I, I, the coffee shop I used to go to in LA, J. 
James Vanderbeek was there all the time. Oh, I remember that. And I constantly talked to him because I have no shame. And it was never about Dawson's Creek. I was just like, why are you here? You have 18 kids. Yeah. Like, what is going on? And he's like, well, that's why I'm here. I would rather talk to him about Varsity Blues than Dawson's, to be honest, but continue. And I'm like, we talked about Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Like, we talked about non-Hollywood shit all the time. Because I never watched watched Dawson's Creek, I didn't have any weirdness around him at all. He was not... He was not my teen heartthrob. He was just like the weird guy who was always in the coffee shop when I was. Yeah. And we would just talk about work. Yeah. Well, look, I I will reveal to you. That's actually very interesting. And and I kind of secretly love when somebody is talking to a person that is famous for doing something that they have no idea about. Right. It's like talking to, you know, Paul McCartney and only talking about like, the duet that he did with Michael Jackson, say, 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 <laughs> like, and be like, Oh, you were not, a, you were in a band called the Beatles. I'm sorry. I've never oh heard my- of them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and it's, and I, I say this because people around us would be losing their fucking minds. Like women of yeah. our age or younger who like, he was the heartthrob would be yeah. like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I'm like, I used to call him Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Be like, what's up, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. <laughs> Well, not for nothing, but Annalise, who is uh, producing this app, huge Dawson's person. Just saying. You can't make me. You can't make me. I Neither that, one of you. Yeah, I love that we can't make you. But listen, here's the thing. I was I was into, like I said, I weirdly, so I was in college when all this stuff was happening in the late 90s, 97, 98. And for whatever reason, my two roommates, John and David and I, but anyway, so we watched a lot of the WB shows like Dawson's, like Roswell. I don't I don't know if you remember Roswell. And then John tried to get us into Buffy, but we it just never took for me. I just yeah. I never watched Buffy. But the era in general, I feel like was we were just all inundated with all this like teen stuff between like the, all that stuff and you know, the boy band era and, you know, that kind of stuff. I just, and, and I was in college, so, you know, I was into it ironically, right? Of because course. I, I was like, that obnoxious college kid was like, I want to watch Dawson's Creek. Isn't it weird? Because I'm like in the goth isn't it, stuff. Isn't it weird how I turn in, tune in every single week at the same time and I'm sad <laughs> if I miss it? <laughs> isn't it weird that I'm like deeply invested in <laughs> Pacey and Joey's relationship? Like... No, I mean, I'm in a Britpop. Why would I like stuff for Taylor? It was so obnoxious. Um, But here's the thing. This movie stars James Marsden, okay, who I actually love. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's great. And I don't know, this is no shade to you, sir, but I don't know why I like you so much. And it isn't because you have like this diamond cutter fucking beautiful face right it says nothing to do with horniness i just like your vibe i don't know yeah. what i like your vibe here's, okay? here's how i would describe james marston i feel like he was chris pine weird aunt in the desert cool before chris pine okay that that's accurate i'll go with that like because- just chill he's done funny movies. god what was the movie that he was in where he was so funny oh my god yeah, he was on 30 Rock. I mean, when he was on 30 Rock, I he was great. I remember him in Anchorman. I think it was that he was in the second one, maybe. Um, yes. But he's always been in like funny shit. Um, yeah. 
And I just, I don't know. I like his vibe. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I don't know why I love you. Right. I, I think that's fair. I think that he just has that vibe and again, like can, can do serious, but is also funny in a way that is not like, hey, look at me. I'm a hot, funny guy. He's just genuinely funny. Yeah. As of this recording, I love James Marsden. Okay. Solid. So in this movie, he plays this kid named Steve, right? High school kid, even though I'm pretty sure James Marsden was like in his mid 20s playing a high school kid. His family, he and his family moved from Chicago to this place called Cradle Bay, which I'm not entirely sure where it is. It seems like it's in New England somewhere based on the graveyard shift guy. I thought Seattle. Oh, maybe. I know. I'm like, I don't know. They moved. They just, they're like, we're not in Chicago. And I'm like, but how close are you to Chicago? Are you in Wisconsin? Like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Hard, hard to say where Cradle Bay is, but uh, essentially his brother has died. Okay. Who, and they show this like footage of his brother and his brother is played by Ethan Embry, the actor, Ethan Embry, who got to say, looks nothing like James Marsden or the rest of their family. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't understand this. Um, <laughs> but it's just like the family tragedy. And I'm assuming they moved to this place because they're trying to kind of get away from the past type of thing. So first day of school, Steve sits down in the cafeteria and these like two dorks just come cruising up. And it's these, I hate to say it, they're kind of incelly, not going to lie. It's this kid named Gavin, who is played by Nick Stahl. Okay. And he's kind of like, like I said, he has this kind of like pre Reddit guy. I don't know, like slightly incel, uh, stoner, but also kind of like into conspiracy theories and like, you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know how to describe this person in the modern age. I think we know what kind of person it would be. But in this time, he was kind of like generic Gen X dork, right? I feel like back in the day, he was like the kid who intentionally shopped at the Army-Navy store. Yes. Only the Army-Navy store. <laughs> and he spoke in like iambic pentameter and shit, like just annoying as hell. Okay. And then there's this, his friend is simply a, a kid that they call UV. And the reason why they do this apparently is because he has albinism. Awful. Awful. And these two guys kind of saddle up to Steve on his first day, and they're giving him the sort of lay of the land in terms of, like, who are the crews in school? And it's, I mean, it is probably the most one of the most cringy scenes in movie history, for my money. There, there is something about this film that I definitely want to talk about, and this is part of it, where I think in a post-Heather's world, every teen movie tried to have its own brand of slang or its own vibe. Like they tried too hard to do that. Yes. And this is absolutely one of them. So this, this UV character who, by the way, is fra has fraudulent al albinism. They just dyed <laughs> his eyebrows really blonde. Yeah. Very cringy. As I, as it's I said, so cringy. And he is saying, Nothing like he provides nothing <laughs> to this film except they're trying to use him for like cool kid clout and like uh, that that vocab that they're trying to 
they're trying to to inject into the mainstream. Like he oh doesn't God. really have a a point. And he's like, like you know, the Nick Stahl character, Gavin, would say something and to describe because you know you have to go around and describe all the groups. And when he got to the Blue Ribbons and UV says, "Freak so chic," I wanted to turn the movie off, and I was ten minutes in. I'm gonna tell you right now. At this point in my life, I watch a lot of movies with subtitles because I just want to know what the conversation is. Sometimes there's a lot of muttering characters mm-hmm. in films. And I'm like, let me get those subtitles. I'm I'm slowly losing my hearing. I need the subtitles. I had to Google the screenplay for Disturbing Behavior because I was convinced that the subtitles were being translated wrong on my television. And when I went and looked at the screenplay, I was like, no, no, no. That's what they're actually saying. They're actually saying all this fucking stupid bullshit. Yeah. It wasn't like it was translated from English to Tagalog and back to English. (laughs) It was just English the whole time. I mean, you can tell that a fully formed adult wrote this movie because the slang is completely unacceptable. It is like the, you know, and, and to your point, it's like, there's always been that thing of teen movies where it's like, check out like the slang of the day. Like you said, I don't know why what's your damage Heather clicked with people. I don't know why fetch clicked with people, but nothing's clicking in this movie. No, I don't know anybody who's using any of this stuff. Hadn't used it then and and won't use it now. Likely. It also smacks to me of like a round table of executives being like, Here's our notes. We need it to sound more like teenagers. Why don't you have them say razor all the time? Oh, my God. At one point, well, let me introduce this. Let me introduce Katie Holmes, finally, because essentially what happens is Gavin and UV kind of take Steve under their wings, and then they introduce him to their gal pal named Rachel, who is played by Katie Holmes. And it's the thing where it's like the Dreamweaver sequence from Wayne's world where Steve immediately falls for her because she's like a hottie baddie. She's got like a tough leather jacket and she's got like a no effect sticker on her vintage truck. And then of course she has a perfectly flat stomach, which they enhance many times in the film by making her wear like very tight crop tops (laughs) the entire movie. And again, (laughs) they're on an Island, which is just, naturally cooler in temperature than most other places she's like let me put on this winter leather jacket but only wear a crop top because i have to look cool yes and she's like what writhing around the bed of her old pickup and it is like steve's like holy shit who is this chick with a nose ring my god i've never seen a a hotter alternative girl in my life so, and he's from Chicago. <laughs> I was like, come on, Chicago, dude. Like, mm. you've seen a girl like this many times, I'm sure. But look, she's one of them. Because at some point, the Katie Holmes character, Rachel, says the term sounds razor. Sounds razor? Let's razor. <laughs> That's razor. Sounds razor. I thought I was having a stroke, truly. This was the point that I reached for the internet 
to Google the screenplay because I was like, there's no fucking way she said Sounds Razor. Indeed she did, folks. Indeed she did. Um, have no idea what that even means. Um, and then it's at another point, quickly after this, Gavin says to Rachel, fail to be a bimmy bitch. What does that mean? <laughs> You're asking the wrong fucking person. I'm like, wait, is that like UK slang? No. No. Like, I just feel like we dipped into the movie Snatch and, and that Brad Pitt character and then out again for that one sentence. But it's like, could, like the context of the sentence, fail to be a bimmy bitch, meaning like... Like, don't? Don't be a bimmy bitch. I, look. I'm telling you. I know I'm, I'm old. So, of course, I, I must sound like a lunatic right now being like, what is this slang? But clearly, it didn't take on. I've never heard these terms ever. Table of executives, I'm telling you. Yes. So you got these like alternatines who are like saying all this weird shit to each other. Steve, by the way, hovers over all of this. He's like, well, I won't be swayed by this like weird, (laughs) this weird slang by these kids. I'm staying true to who I am, which is like completely neutral, which I love. He Um, sounds like, like, like a, like a, like he's speaking in Shakespearean tongue by comparison. Oh my God. It's insane. So basically there's like the popular kids of the school. They're called the blue ribbons and they're all very clean teens. Like they, they have, they hang out at a yogurt shop and they all kind of have this, like, I don't know, like Wally Beaver vibe to them. And as you come to find out, all the popular kids have been patients in secret experiments involving mind control, which is being led by this faculty member named Dr. Caldecott. So that's the, the horror of the film. It's basically like, what if all of the popular kids at school were actually fucking like killing machines? What if we gave every popular kid at school a single Terminator eye? (laughs) and you know here's the thing about this caldecott guy you know he's basically going to the parents and he's telling the parents of all these kids like hey i'm offering this therapy i'm offering this tutoring or whatever uh to make your kids great students and great athletes and this was a huge thing i think in the 90s too which was like a lot of like fucking alternatives running around with no direction and then the parents like trying to put them into like programs that would make them less alternative <laughs> i don't know i don't know if you ever had a situation where like a teacher or, or like a family member came up to you and was like why are you alternative <laughs> that happened to me though at one point what yes who came up to you and said that so one of my parents friends once said to me oh god don't tell me you're turning grunge are you grunge and i was like (laughs) i am fucking mortified (laughs) like i am going straight to my car and i'm listening to the toadies and screaming about this like i was like 
horrified. And so I was like, in this moment when you're kind of watching this film and you're like, oh yeah, here's here's like all the parents who are trying to clean up their alternative children. I was like, been there. Oh God. I mean, what a mess. There, there was there was definitely a moment, as I think there's a moment in most generations where there's a panic of oh no, the children are expressing themselves. Yes. <laughs> and thankfully, most of, I, I mean, I think it's because I was raised by my grandparents. So most yes. of their friends were much older and they're like, we don't understand you anyway. So we don't, we can't comment because you are genuinely 30 years beneath yeah. what we have paid attention to. So they just weren't even looking yeah. at me. They're like, oh yeah, you've always, you're a freak. You've always been a freak. What's up? I'm hanging yeah. out with your grandma. We're going to go play bingo. But yeah, there was definitely a panic of like, oh my god, the kids are piercing everything. They're tattooing everything. <laughs> yeah, they're wearing crop tops with big ass pants, and like that's the thing is that my own parents didn't give a shit, but like all their friends who were the goddamn bane, they were always real concerned about the alternative lifestyle taking over the children of the community. So dumb. So. So you got these these blue ribbons who are on some like clockwork orange meets Stepford Wives stuff, okay? But the funniest part about this is that <laughs> turns out these blue ribbon kids really go into beast mode and start murdering people when they get horny. Okay? So basically you got these football players popping boners and then immediately killing people. <laughs> which sounds insane but it's actually true that's what's in the movie basically that's the plot of the that's a <laughs> subplot of the movie is a guy named fucking chug chug going ape shit in a store because he saw katie holmes's stomach yes and he just he genuinely like bench press lifts someone over an aisle because he saw her stomach yeah, there's a part where one of the girls, one of the blue ribbon girls, who is kind of like the hottest of the hotties, she's like inside Steve's house, uh, tutoring his little sister. And apparently she gets so turned on by Steve that she smashes her fucking head into a mirror like special agent Dale Cooper at the end of the original Twin Peaks. And I'm like, damn, these kids are so horny that they're like, destroying things <laughs> also i feel like this is a flaw that could have been worked out or toned down at least like maybe instead of making them slam their faces into mirrors maybe the doctor could have been like oh well i'll just have it so that they like go home <laughs> from wherever they are like they'll just leave he's like no they're gonna fucking smash their face and destroy grocery stores and it serves them right and maybe they'll commit murder and i i can't i can't work around this bug yeah we can't fix this. Uh, we just hope that they don't get horny. <laughs> we hope these high school kids don't ever pop boners. It's like so crazy. So <laughs> the the great Steve Railsback plays like this dick cop in the town who is sort of the bouncer of this guy. Like he's basically like policing all of these blue ribbon kids and, you know, all the all the non-blue ribbon kids. He's kind of like fucking with them. And the only person that's kind of like not in on it is this janitor or kind of like, he's not even really a janitor. He's kind of like a, a maintenance guy at the high school. And his name is Mr. Newberry. And like Danielle said, he's incredibly graveyard shift. He's like, 
Brad Dorif in graveyard shift, almost like looks wise, everything. And this is this is this is a part played by the great William William Sadler, um, yes. who has been in so many amazing films. You would know his face if you saw him. If you don't know him by name, and. He's so over the top. I mean, he's got like the Coke bottle glasses. He's got the dirty oil stained face. He's got the, like, he just looks so weird. Yes. And he says weird, weird shit. Yeah. The, there's like this whole thing that they uh, basically kind of introduce that he pretends to act like an idiot so that nobody will pay attention to him doing things to save the town, which is that he has created this like little device that makes this like high pitched sound. Right. And he's, and he initially is telling people that this is to keep the rats away. Another connection to graveyard shift is that he kills rats. Okay. And he has this like little device that plays a high pitched noise and the rats die. But apparently this thing also makes the blue ribbons fucking go ape shit and not in the horny ape shit way but like in another way in a way that's like they might explode they're they're like mind control brains can't handle the frequency and so he's a secret genius toiling away in the the bowels of the high school and essentially what happens is is that katie holmes and james marsden essentially figure out that there's this experimentation going on. Gavin, who initially was a part of their crew, and he was actually the first person to really like lay eyes on this whole shit, he ends up getting taken by the Blue Ribbons. And he turns into like one of them at some point. So essentially you got, you know, UV, Steve and Rachel trying to save the entire town from this, scenario and in tandem with the kooky rat killing genius at the bottom of the school and that's essentially the film (laughs) it has an ending that i will not discuss but i will say is so poorly thought out and it's a two-part and a two-beat ending and it is infuriating how they yeah. decided to end this movie after all the shit they put us through in this film. Yes. That that is how they decided to end it. Now, I will say that I have read in places that there was some kind of director's cut or like there's a lot of like missing scenes or extra footage that apparently ha- makes the ending different. So it could have been that this was a hack job and now the ending doesn't make any damn sense. And it's only going to be until they like re, you know, reestablish the director's cut, which I hear that there's a Blu-ray coming out later this year. So maybe that'll happen, but sounds to me like that might be the reason why the ending sucks so bad. Cause you're just like, Oh, maybe it wasn't actually supposed to be like that. Who knows? Yeah. Cause it was designed by committee instead of being written by one dude. Yes. Well, but, it makes sense to me now why you chose this film, and it's because you never saw it before. Yes. And it's bad. <laughs> I mean... I, gonna, I love James Marsden, but this is a badass movie. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Just it's saying. um. Your movie is definitely Citizen Kane compared to my fucking movie. But, you know, as an artifact of the era of this, like, 90s 
Tiger beat hottie era? Sure. You definitely have Katie Holmes in her high era. James Marsden, another young hottie. You know, you have the fly song. There's that fucking Harvey Danger song that plays like, like the soundtrack, like is... I looked at the soundtrack and I hadn't heard any band except for the flies and Harvey danger. And I was like, okay, well, at least they played the shit out of those two. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it, as an artifact, it's just fine. As yeah. like a movie that I would watch again. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I might have to have my own like mind control experiment job in order to maybe like really sink my teeth into this one again. But just know that this was the first time that I Googled the screenplay of a film for the podcast to make sure that what they were saying, the slang, the teen slang that they were, that they were saying was actually accurate. So that is a memorable moment. (laughs) And it it will go down in history for that at least. (sighs) Well, and then there's your film. Yeah. And my film was also released in 1998. Uh, It was written, the screenplay is by Kevin Williamson. Uh, It was directed by Robert Rodriguez. And my movie is The Faculty. The students at Harrington High have always suspected their teachers were from another planet. Is this going to be on the test? This is the test. This time, they're right. See, already you you got the hitter, the heavy hitters. You got Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Williamson. Shit. Yeah. And Robert Rodriguez is a very well-known director. I mean, we're talking El Mariachi, Desperado, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, in which he gave his seven-year-old writing credit, uh, which is so cute. Mm. Um, Spy Kids, Sin City, like the list goes on and on and Mm. on. Um, But Robert Rodriguez is a very well-known director. And Kevin Williamson as well is a very well-known screenwriter and has gone on to do... Big old movies. Big, 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 big old movies. And what's cool, what's funny about this movie is I remember, so 1998, I was living in California. I was not in college and I had like three jobs. So I wasn't watching a lot of TV or going to a lot of movies. Mm. I would go to the movies when I could, but like I wasn't watching a lot of TV. Sure. But I have distinct memories of this entire cast being in Tommy Hilfiger commercials as a way to promote this movie. Do you remember that? Fuck yeah, because there was a moment where I saw Jordana Brewster in the film wearing that Tommy Hilfiger shirt, and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, they heavily sponsored it, I guess, because they did an entire series of commercials, which you can look up, look it up on YouTube. But they are, and they're kind of like done in the style of like gonzo, like indie film (laughs) commercials. I don't know. It's just, it's the weirdest memory that I have of this film. Because again, when I, when this film came out, I was a very surly 20 year old. Yeah. Or 20, almost 21 year old who was just like, I I don't have time for for children anymore. I've got bills (laughs) to pay. Yeah, you weren't even ironically appreciating it in college kid style. You were like, no, I got a fucking real job. I've got three real jobs. I I don't even want to do ironic appreciation for this shit. When you work from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m., you don't have time for ironic appreciation. Everything is very intentional. (laughs) Very intentional. But I remember eventually seeing this movie 
and thinking and because primarily because Robert Rodriguez was the director. And I got to say, I think it holds up and I'll get into the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, but first and foremost, let me just read you this cast. Let's just read down the list of this cast before I get to the one sentence, before I get to the movie. Jordana Brewster, Clea Duvall, Laura Harris, Josh Hartnett, Sean Hattesey, Salma Hayek, Famke Johnson, Piper Laurie, yes. Christopher McDonald, Bebe Newworth, Robert Patrick, Usher Raymond, Usher, <laughs> John Stewart, Elijah Wood, and Summer Phoenix. I mean, <sighs> this movie had everyone. This was the quintessential 1990s WB teen hotties tiger beat movie oh my god everyone i mean i the roster is so deep and that's why i joked about it being like a robert altman movie because i was like (laughs) damn (laughs) like like piper laurie is in the fucking movie and she's not even in it the entire time like she i mean it's crazy like how many people are in this film it is a a murderer's row of actors And I'll give you my one sentence, which is, an Ohio high school is invaded by water-based aliens in an effort to prove that your teachers and parents are just as weird as you think they are. (laughs) Perfection. So this movie has a really nice opening because like before the credits roll, before the title rolls, you see... This coach, played by Robert Patrick, who's super emotional, super aggro, um, he gets approached by a shadowy figure on the football field, and the next thing you know, he's kind of docile. And he's chasing the principal, B.B. Newerth, through the school. He jams a fucking pencil through her hand. Piper Laurie's trying to help her get, get out. She gets out, and then Piper Laurie stabs her with scissors. So... <laughs> The teachers are all fucking fuck the fuck up already. Mm-hmm. And the way that I, the thing that I love about this movie is that they set up all the tropes in such a a basic but interesting way. So as the kids are all coming to school the next day, you're you're seeing their names, but they don't, you know, there's no one person going around the lunchroom and like describing them. You see who they are in action. Yeah. So Elijah Wood, who plays Casey, um, is a total nerd. And they, they, to the point where people are like picking him up and slamming his nuts into the flagpole. Like they're spreading his, <laughs> slamming his nuts into the flagpole. I'm like, good Lord. They like, hate this kid. Th- this whole opening sequence with that complete act of terrorism (laughs) with the summer phoenix and this the boyfriend screaming at each other like in the hallway in this way that is very disturbing and i'm like what the fuck is this high school these these kids are fucking insane it's already a weird weird place and then you have you know like the the Jordana Brewster character who is the editor of the newspaper and very popular. And she says something so weird when Sean Hattesey, who is captain of the football team and her boyfriend, tries to kiss her. And she says, these are Estee Lauder lips that took 72 minutes to apply. Now, I don't wear makeup, but that seems extraordinary to me. Yeah, that... 72 minutes to put on lipstick? To me, that was like... 
did you get a tattoo? Like, was it like tattooed lipstick? Why is that? Did Estee Lauder herself rise from the grave <laughs> to give you a tattoo with her little gnarled skeleton hand? <laughs> so she's like, she's very like prim and proper. And then you have Clea Duvall who plays Stokes, Stokely Mitchell. And she is like fucking black eyeliner, black fishnet tops. Doesn't give a fuck about anyone. Stomping yeah. through the hallways, bumping into people. My favorite is probably Josh Hartnett, who, <laughs> okay, there's so much going on here. Yes. Josh Hartnett, this haircut in this film is distractingly bad. <laughs> it looks like someone put a bowl on his head, cut around it, took the bowl off, and then just made it extra fucked up on the sides and in the back. <laughs> Like, someone tried to make the Jim Carrey Dumb and Dumber haircut cool and did not achieve it. <laughs> it's a gelled up Dumb and Dumber haircut. It does. It is just not serving him at all because he's a very, very handsome man now. Yeah. It was not serving him at all. And he is introduced. He's, he's, his character is Zeke. And he's introduced and is like hot rod car that he's refurbished, holding these big pens full of powder that he calls scat. So he's essentially selling drugs for $5 a pop to his fellow students. Yeah. I, I mean, not going to lie. There was a moment where I thought that is actually a pretty tight fucking way to sell drugs to put it in a pen. Like no one's searching those pens. No, no one's looking at pens intricately and being like, Oh, there's like, drugs in this pen and then easy to snort like right up yeah. the nose and i'm like all right i don't know if there this you is, go is this was a creation of hollywood or if this was actually happening but like it's pretty inventive never let it be said that drug dealers and users are not inventive exactly that cannot be said and so you get you get to meet everybody and then you kind of go into the school and the teachers are shrugs to hunk. Like they have the old dirty air conditioner that they're not allowed to turn on. And the principal's going around being like, everyone, everything's cut except for football <laughs> because yeah. they're the only one that are bringing in money to this school. Like the teachers are shrugs to funk. One of the teachers pours like half of a flask into his morning coffee cup. It's just so bleak. It's so yeah. bleak. And amidst all this, we have a new student starting, and her name is Mary Beth. And listen, Mary Beth is from Atlanta, and she <laughs> introduces herself with her full name and place of residence. My name is Mary Beth Louise Hutchinson, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, ma'am. That's how they do it out here. She means fucking business. So she's kind of... Oh, uh, did you remember her? Like, I was trying to place where she's from. I was like, who is this actress? Did you remember that show on Nickelodeon called 15? Yep. And it was that like dramatic teen soap opera that was also like where America got discovered or where America was introduced to Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. But she was on 15. And that was like the first thing I thought, like when I finally made the connection in my head, I was like, oh my God, she's, the, she's from that Canadian teen soap opera on Nickelodeon. Then it's not, you can't do that on television. Yeah. <laughs> Where they were like, let's be serious on Nickelodeon. We're like, okay, we'll we're try it. Take it. We'll, we'll, tra we'll transition from stick stickly into some 15. Why not? <laughs> 
So Mary Beth meets Stokely, and the first thing she says to her is, are you one of those science fiction people? <laughs> she's reading a book by, like, Robert Heinlein or something. <laughs> and so she's like, are you one of those science fiction people? And this is, like, the story itself kicks off after we meet everybody when Casey um, finds a type of pod, let's call it, on the football field. He's eating lunch alone. He finds this little pod. And he, like a diligent, good little nerd, brings it directly to his science teacher, who is played by Jon Stewart. And mm. the character's name is Professor Edward Furlong, <laughs> which I never knew. Shading Edward Furlong? What the shit? So lo- there's a lot of jokes tucked into this movie, by the way. So many jokes in this, like just so many. And so John Stewart takes this little pod, and somebody accidentally bumps into Stokely, and the- some water falls on it, and then it starts moving. And he's like, "Let's put this shit in a fish tank." So they do, and then it multiplies, like it divides itself and grows fucking tentacles, and nobody is alarmed. Exactly. They're exactly. just like, cool, Casey, I think you found a new species. Then it bites Doctor <laughs> Professor Edward Furlong's finger. <laughs> and he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but nobody is alarmed by this multiplying, self-multiplying species at all. Oh, my God. Oh, God. So we've got, we go cut back to Stan. And Stan is considering quitting the football team. He wants to be the D student he always knew he could be on his own terms. And he's in the showers, in the locker room, and he has kind of sees this figure. Mm. And then this there's two creepy stumbling scenes in this movie. The first one is when, in the beginning, when Robert Patrick attacks B.B. Newworth, there's a scene where he comes out of the hallway in the dark and he's running at her blowing a whistle, and it is so creepy. <laughs> And the the second one is this scene where Mrs. Brummel, one of the older teachers, nakedly stumbles towards Stan in the showers. And he's like, "Uh, I guess it'll be okay." And he's trying to comfort her. And then a whole chunk of her scalp comes off. And her skin starts melting. And of course, there's a perfect explanation for it because in true pod person style what is actually happening is the town has been invaded by aliens the aliens get new victims by puking a slug into their ear (sighs) they become super docile they chug water like there's no tomorrow and they turn they're gonna they're gonna keep going until they turn everybody yeah so they explain it as mrs brummel is like sick with cancer and doesn't I'm like that's not how that works, but that's yeah. how they explain it away. But now stands on to something, and now some of the kids and the students are starting to be on to something. And what I love about this movie is that there are so many nods to sci-fi without it being overwrought. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a traditional like body swap sort of sci-fi movie, but it's funny and it's weird and it's like more updated. Yeah. And they don't shy away from how weird it is to have, like, the body swap thing going on. So more and more kids are kind of getting onto it. Um, Selma Hayek is turned. They're calling kids into the office, like, three at a time. And Casey and Delilah end up investigating together. They go into a closet. They get pushed into a closet when um, when the coach comes into one of the classrooms. And 
Mrs. Rummel's body is in the closet. So when they're able to leave, they immediately go to the cops. And the whole school is like, or the, all of the teachers in the school are like, oh, no, it's just Recessa Annie. You know her. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this, just this model we use to teach CPR. But Delilah and Casey cannot be stopped. So they eventually join forces with everyone. They join sto- for- forces with Stan and Mary Beth and Zeke and Delilah and Stokely. And they're all going to figure this shit the fuck out. Yeah. Now, Casey is the one who says, and this is kind of funny to me because I really like this. Again, these nods. Because Casey says, like, all body snatcher stories are set up to prepare us for when real aliens arrive. (laughs) (laughs) And Stokely's like, what the fuck? But then Stokely starts talking about puppet masters um, and how they were parasites in the Puppet Masters book Mm -hmm. by Heinlein. And it just, again, like, has all these nods and cool, cool nods of sci-fi. So they're all deciding. Something's up. We got to figure out exactly what. They go back to the science classroom to try to look at this pod, and it's gone. But guess who's there? Dr. Edward Furlong. And what do they do? (laughs) They cut off his fingers, which slither away like slugs, and then they stab him in the eye with a scat pen, and he fucking crows. (laughs) That, those little finger nubs Ugh. walking around was actually hilarious. Like, I was like, oh, this is like a funny horror movie thing to have happened. It's like, it's very Bilal in Basket yeah. Cave. Oh, very Bilal. But it also is that thing where they're like, well, apparently the scat <laughs> kills these things. And, and this is the cool part. Like, they just, they all, so now they're like, shit, we got proof. We took one of the things. We took one of the thingies. And now we yeah. got proof. So they go back to Zeke's house, who has a lab, of course, because he makes scat. And scat, yeah, I was by like, way, a full meth lab with like full. all of these like Bunsen burners and fucking uh-huh. like, like intricate glassware. I was like, damn, this drug dealer is real serious. He is so serious. He's stealing equipment from school. And we're starting to see some little love connections starting to happen with like all the misfits are... are hooking up with all the popular people all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, right? But these kids are figuring shit out. So they're like, all right, the scat is a desiccant. These are water-based aliens. This dries them up. So we need to make as much scat as possible. Oh, and P.S., this is a parasite. And according to all the rules of sci-fi, if we kill the master, it will make everyone human again. So -hmm. let's find the master. All we have to do before that is prove that none of us are aliens. And we got to snort some scat. <laughs> and this scene is so goddamn funny and weird. Yeah. And it still holds up. Like I said, I think this movie holds up now. I don't know if it'll be, it'll, it will still hold up in 10 years, but it holds up now. Yeah. And so they're all snorting scat. And wouldn't you know it, Delilah snorts, snorts some scat. And her face is filled with slugs underneath the skin because Oof. she's actually been turned. Yeah. And she destroys the lab. So they can't make any more scat. And then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> sure damn does. <laughs> and I don't want to ruin the end of this movie, but I will say there is a turn where Fomka Johnson plays a super nerdy teacher mm. who has been like taking Zeke's shit all throughout the movie. And when you find out she is turned, she comes back like Olivia Newton-John at the end of Greece, and is like, I ain't taking your shit. 
tell me about it stud tell me about it scat and then she's <laughs> looking <laughs> and she's like cursing out a teen and it is just it, the movie gets wild from here and i don't want to ruin the ending and i don't want to ruin who the master is or anything oh yeah but piper laurie's incredible in this movie Everyone is incredible in this movie. I feel like there are a lot of, um, like Rodriguez did a lot of shots with Piper Laurie um, throughout the film that were very Carrie-like. So, you know, like yeah. when the camera kind of stuttered and went close. Like there's just, again, like cool nods. If you like horror, if you like sci-fi, you'll notice a lot about this movie that are nods to that. Um, Robert Patrick has never been creepier. Usher yeah. has has never been a worse actor. I don't, okay. know, I don't know who told him he could get on a screen and act. Okay first of all i was convinced that this was the film where usher was a dj and then i quickly realized it was like no that's she's all that like i was like so i thought usher dj'd in this movie and then i'm like no i think he's just a football player like and he wasn't even in it as much as i thought he was gonna be like i was expecting usher to play a prominent like starring role as the dj but a Clearly, no. it did not happen. Instead, he was like, he was just a jock. Like, yeah, a, a jock that sort of, at some point, kind of um, replaces the Stan character as the head of the football team after Stan decides that he doesn't want to be a, a football player anymore. But yep. yes, not not a, not a movie where Usher DJs or dances, unfortunately. So <laughs> I wish he would have DJed or danced. And here's how you know he was trying to be serious because he included his last name. He's like, I'm not just Usher. I'm Usher Raymond. Let's use my acting name so you don't expect me to DJ or dance. He's not in the camera going, this is the hardest thing that I think I've ever had to do is to (laughs) tell you the woman that I love that I'm having an alien let loose in my fucking face. (laughs) (laughs) Like, nothing that you know of Usher in this moment is is represented in this film so let me let me tell you that there's some uh some slug nubs crawling their way <laughs> through my body right now these are my confessions <laughs> <laughs> um also underrated christopher mcdonald we've talked about him in the uh the thelma and louise episode he plays casey's dad and it's just like one scene hilarious like he is just so funny Oh, God, I love him. It's a great moment, I for sure. I want to ask you this real quick. Were you a person that ever thought that Josh Hartnett and Clea Duvall were brother and sister? No, I do now. <laughs> there is this whole conspiracy what? theory out there. Now, I'm, listen, when I say conspiracy theory, this is light. This is a light conspiracy theory, I think. But a lot of people thought that Josh Hartnett and Cleo Duvall were related. I don't see it. Well, and then I thought I was tripping until I actually Googled it. People have done deep dives into this Cleo Duvall, Josh Hartnett thing. Just saying. This is an underbelly. This yes. is a revealed underbelly. I'm going to, I will read it, but I do not see it at all. <laughs> and I think that is hilarious. A, a true conspiracy would have been, are they the same person? But then they're in the same movie and they can't be the same person. Exactly. Exactly. Also, but. my last point about the faculty, I absolutely love that the fighting teenage couple 
is credited as fuck you boy and fuck you girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. It's so good. It holds up. I think it's a for for its genre for 90s murderous tiger beat hotties. It holds up. Absolutely. I abs- I absolutely think so too. And I mean, obviously I was joking around about it being like just a better quality film than my movie, but it's also like it has like, I mean, there's a lot of famous people in this film. And like, you know, all these like actors, these young actors like Elijah Wood, like Josh Hartnett, like Clay Duvall, like, I mean, these were, they were all like superstars essentially in this era. So it's that thing mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, well, you have a lot of like good actors, you have a lot of good adult actors. And then you have like Kevin Williamson, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez. So for me, I feel like it just has staying power because it was, you know, made by all these people but also yeah it's a good movie like i think it's suspenseful and it's made well and this the the special effects are like pretty badass so mm-hmm. you know it's good. i loved it yeah watch them both just have a weekend watch them both you won't be upset clean your house do you i mean a lot so many people write to us and they're like oh i was listening to you while i was cleaning my house and i'm like put the movies on yeah why not Pop them on. yeah just uh you know have a like an easy breezy uh, movie watching weekend. I mean, mine will be very easy to watch. <laughs> I think the also, faculty takes a little bit more brain power, but you know what? Like, both enjoyable. I also love that your movie is like 119 minutes. It's like just under. Like, <laughs> 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 like, it just happens. It happens so fast. I will never get over that ending. I could talk about it all day long, but. It just ain't right. It just ain't right. But this episode was right. And I'm so glad we got to do this. I love yes. a 90s movie moment. Uh, yes. And I can't wait for next week either. Do you want to tell them what the f- movies are? Oh, my God. Dudes, you're not even ready. I'm just going to throw that out there. Like, y'all ain't ready. Period. The movies for next episode... Are Flowers in the Attic from 1987 an interview with a vampire from 1994? I mean, truly. I, I cannot believe these two together for the first time in history. No, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> um, I'm extremely excited for this. Same. Same. I'm excited about them all, but I'm very excited about this one. Well, look. If you guys have your own 90s Tiger Beat hottie roster that you want to share with us, who were your centerfolds? Who Whose body were you removing the staples from? Do you remember Steve Burton? <laughs> from out of this world. <laughs> like, if you have anything. Apparently, according to Annalise... Tiger Beat's last issue was in 2019. So it's been around a lot. So there might be shit. There could be Usher then and Usher now in a Tiger yeah. Beat. Who knows? Usher teen and Usher dad. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he is the new Tom Selleck in the new Tiger Beat. Who knows? <laughs> but if you have, if you want to write to us about that or anything else, we're at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on our social media. We are at I Saw Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget that it always helps us when you leave us a nice little five-star review. Uh, it helps people find us. And it's 
very, very nice for you to do if you can, if you have the time. Yes, thank you so much in advance. Danielle, always a fucking pleasure to be here with you. The dopest. All right, see you everybody next week. Freak so chic. I'm vomiting. Sorry. I must go vomit now. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and mixed by Casey O'Brien. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.